Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. We're at the women's brunch yesterday. Any of you ladies? Wasn't that awesome? I wasn't here, but I heard it was awesome. So great job, all of you guys. Uh, today we're going to start a brand new series called It Takes a Body. And I'm, I, I didn't know if I could preach still after a six-week break, but I've warmed up with two services, so this one's going to be the best one, all right? So uh, I've been all, believe it or not, I've been all week at youth camp, though. Okay, we made a decision, Becca and I made a decision last minute, Sunday evening, last Sunday, that we were just going to just go to youth camp. And at youth camp, because I, I just can't take the youth pastor out of me. So uh, at youth camp, you see a lot of strange things. I snapped a picture of one of the strange things I saw at youth camp. Here it is, right here. It's one of our guys. All of a sudden, randomly, he's, he's wearing a draft head. I have no idea why. I started videotaping him as he was dancing around in the moonlight one night with a draft head on. I said, I got to get a picture of this. Believe it or not, that's going to set up where we're going to go today. So if you have your Bibles or whatever, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verse 15 and 16. It says this it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That's into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which with, it, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, a head or a body with the wrong head is really disturbing, isn't it? And you look at that picture, it's like, I think it's really disturbing. And there's something about when something doesn't match, when you have a head that doesn't match the body, it's just really weird, okay? And the same is true spiritually. When we have Jesus as the head and we look at the body and it doesn't match what he ha it doesn't match there's something wrong it doesn't work properly. And so there's a lot of this analogy of the body all throughout the New Testament. Many times it talks about the church or the people of God as the body of Christ. What does it mean when it uses that analogy? Well, it just simply means that even though we have different parts like we've got fingers and hands and arms and toes and feet even though there's individual parts, when you put them all together and everything works right, that it's a beautiful thing and you can accomplish a lot, that you can really enjoy life, that it works right. Now, as I said, crazy things happen at youth camp, and it was no less the case this week as we were at youth camp. One of the awesome things about youth camp is that they have a blob. How many of you guys know what a blob is? How many of you guys do not know what a blob is? You're just going to own it. All right. Let me tell you what a blob is. A blob is like this big, huge, like, like 50 foot long, 20 foot wide, air-filled pocket of material, okay, that you put out on a lake, and then you have like this diving board thing, and somebody jumps off and lands on the airbag on one side, crawls way out to the other side, and then hopefully a much larger person will jump after them, therefore propelling the person out in the end as high as possible into the air, into as much danger, and then landing in the lake. It is awesome. Now, here's what they had, a genius idea at this camp to do blobbing at night, which is awesome. Now, one interesting thing about this lake that we were at is that it was was freezing cold. It was ice cold water. You say, how could it be ice cold water when it's like 95 degrees out? It's because this particular lake was fed by a spring from a cave. It was called Cave Springs. And so the water literally, teenagers, am I right? It was ice cold. I mean, Teddy, you couldn't even breathe, could you? I mean, you get in there, I couldn't breathe. You get in there and it's like, I cannot believe this. It's like jumping in a bucket of ice. And so the most fun, one of the most fun I had is when my brother Jake and I, we would go down to the blob at night event and we would watch for these little junior hires 
used to come out all dry and not used to the water. They'd come out and get on the blob, and at night we'd see them fly up in the air, and as soon as they hit the water and hit the cold water, they'd be screaming like they just saw this bug or something, and that was just the guys. And uh, so it was awesome. And then they would come up out of the water, and we would just sit there and heckle them as they came out of the water. And that's what I spent my nights doing. It was awesome. Uh, but I remember also when I was a, uh, at youth leader at a camp a long time ago. We had a blob much larger than that. And it was uh, one, I think it was our drummer's brother actually, jumped out on the blob, scurried out to the end. And then we had two, shall we say, well-fed guys, much larger than him, jump at the same time. I kid you not, he propelled like 30 or 40 feet in the air. I think he was repenting of every sin he had ever done at that moment. And he came down and hit the water, and I think, I think he had to repent of some more things that he probably said when he hit the water. But it was, it was just awesome, okay? And, and so the reason I say that is when I got out of the water this week, I noticed something. The first time I got out of the water, it's like all of a sudden my limbs didn't work very well. And I realized that I had gone numb in the water and that I would literally come out. I was having trouble walking and I was like, what is going on? And fortunately, I had a life jacket on. But if I hadn't had a life jacket on, I don't know if I wouldn't have noticed that my body wasn't working properly. Now, physically, if our body's not working properly, how many of you guys know you can get into trouble pretty fast, especially in water, if your body's not working properly? I think we've got to take it a little more serious that if the body of Christ isn't working properly, that people can also get into trouble. If the body's not working, people will get into trouble. And so, like I said, I went to camp to see pictures like I just showed you. I went to camp to do experiences like I just told you about. But really, one of the main reasons I went to camp last minute is because I knew that some pastor friends that Becca and I have were going to be there as well. And all week long, we'd be able to spend some time with them. And even though I didn't have time... I knew that I needed to make time. And so uh, we cleared our schedules and and we just said, we're going to go. And so we did. And why is that important? It's important because who went there, the pastor that I was going to spend some time with, Clint and Mary Sprague, there was a time in my life where I was disconnected from the body. How many of you guys have ever had a time in your life where maybe you're changing churches or there's some season transition in your life? And for a moment, you feel disconnected from the body. And there was a time in my life a long time ago where there was a season that I was disconnected from the body temporarily. And so I went, my friend Clint, he was planning a church an hour and a half away from me, and I knew I needed to go someplace to connect with the body with people I could trust. And how many of you guys have been in painful situations and trust in the body becomes essential at that point? And so I was driving an hour and a half one way to be with people that I could trust, and Clint and Mary were those people. And so I see it as a priority to continue that relationship. Now, some of you, you got saved in our church, and this is the only church you've ever been in. You've not really, you know, experienced that change, but you may experience a transition point through a season or something in your life, and you need to be prepared and understand this, that you never graduate from needing the body of Christ. You never get to a point where if you're disconnected from the body, it's not a problem, because every time you're disconnected, It's a problem that you have to struggle with because relationships in the kingdom are really everything. The kingdom of God is all about relationships. Do you realize that that the local church is still God's plan A for this world? Can I get an amen? The local church, the body of Christ, is still God's plan A. He's not sitting back saying, well, there's a lot of chaos in the world. I don't know if this body of Christ thing is going to work anymore. No, it's still God's plan A. The local church, the body of Christ, is the vehicle of God on the earth that's expanding and building God's kingdom. 
And so we've got to be connected to the body. And when we're not working properly, something's wrong. It takes a body. Okay? Relationships in the kingdom are everything. Our relationship with God is what the kingdom is about, right? Do you realize the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, is a relationship. It's a mysterious relationship. You realize that the body is our relationships with one another. So the kingdom is about relationships. So let me say it this way. If our relationships aren't connected or working properly, we're not fully experiencing the kingdom. Something's missing from our life, whether you realize it or not. If our relationships aren't working properly, we're not experiencing the kingdom like we should. And so I want to share a strange story with you today out of Matthew chapter 12. I've been looking at this story for the last couple weeks and just kind of a little perplexed by the story. And uh, sometimes we read the Bible and we don't really think about the implications of what happens in the story. But imagine this story as it's being played out in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. It says, while he was still speaking to the people, this is Jesus, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. All right, so get the picture. Jesus is having a church service, right? Outside the church service, his mother and his brothers show up. And so some usher guy or something <laughs> rushes up to Jesus and says, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. They want to speak with you. And, and so it seems okay. They're wanting to speak with him. But he replied and he did something so what we would consider unlike Jesus, I think. He does something so unchristlike, yet he's Christ, right? And so here's what he does. It says, but he replied to the man who told him, he said, well, who's my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand, and he starts pointing to the people, to the disciples, and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Did I just hear Jesus disown his own family? Sure sounded like it, right? And so it seems like, I mean, didn't Jesus start, like, focus on the family and all that stuff? I mean, and so you think, this is, how would Jesus say this? It's his own family. Isn't he supposed to be a family guy? Isn't he supposed to be about family and all that? What's up with this? And so I have three questions today when we're talking about the body and we're talking about family. The first question is this. Who is my family? Jesus asked that. Who are my brothers? Who's my mother? Who's my family? Who is my family? And as I was thinking about this story, I was wondering why wasn't his family at the meeting in the first place? Why weren't they there? Where were they at? What was so important that they were somewhere else? Were they at the soccer game? Were they barbecuing? Were they at work? What was going on? Here, the biggest thing in town, the biggest thing to ever hit the planet, they're related to him. He's doing church services, and they're out doing something else, and they come, and they want to meet with him. And I'm wondering, well, what do they want to talk with him about? I mean, is this like an intervention moment where they're like, okay, Jesus, you've tried this American Idol thing, you know, all this thing too long. Come back to the family business. Let's, you know, let's just stop. What are they there for? And why weren't they in the meeting in the first place? And I could tell you one of the reasons why. They didn't believe that he was God. In fact, Jesus' brother James didn't believe until Jesus died on the cross, until he rose from the dead, even that wasn't enough. Jesus had to appear to him personally later on, we see in Scripture, before he would even believe. So they weren't even believers. And they were, that's why they were not at the meeting. What would be more important in their life than what was happening with Jesus? Now I've got a question for us. What would be more important in our lives than what's happening with Jesus? But that's, they were there, but not on the inside. Now, I had another question about this, or another observation. Too many, it, they were on the outside looking in. I believe too many believers are on the outside of the body 
of what Jesus is doing, of what God is doing, looking in. I, I was thinking back to uh, back when I was a, a teenager and we had a, a youth group. I was involved in a youth group. We had this lock-in. We had this scavenger hunt thing night. And, and it was uh, two of the youth leaders were well-fed guys. And uh, they had this small little Toyota hatchback car. And these guys were so well-fed that they actually, if I remember right, they actually took the front seats out of this little Toyota, and they would sit in the back seat driving. They were so big. It was, like, awesome. And so one night, we were driving around on the scavenger hunt, and we decided, for whatever stupid reason, let's see how many people we can fit in the car driving around doing the scavenger hunt. And if my memory serves me correctly, we had 13 people plus the two well-fed guys in the car. My feet were sticking out one window, laying across people, and my head was out the other side. It's not very smart, is it? So we were driving around having a blast, though, okay? Teenagers don't do this. Uh, we were at having a blast. And so we had all these tasks that we had to do. And one of the tasks we had to do uh, was we had to find a random person in the mall. And my brother Jeremy actually was the one who did this. He found a random person in the, in the mall, and he had to get down on one knee to a random person and sing a song, I love you with the love of the Lord, right into random. And so that was one of the things. Another one of the things that we had to do is we had to find a restaurant with windows with people eating, looking out the windows, and then we had to go up to the window, stand and stare at them while they're eating, acting hungry. Now that's really awkward, isn't it? And as I was thinking back on that, I thought, you know what? That's a picture of what most believers are doing. They're standing on the outside. There's a pizza ranch buffet on the inside, and they could come in anytime they want. It's already been paid for, but they're on the outside looking in. Too many believers are on the outside looking in. Another thought that I had that was striking to me is that Jesus identified more with his spiritual family than with his natural family. Now, doesn't that sound so foreign to the way we live today? Jesus connected more with those who were spiritually connected to him than with those who were naturally connected. And let me say something pretty strong. You are not the body of Christ. You are not. We are the body of Christ. I think a lot of people get it mixed up and think, well, I'm the body of Christ. I'm the church. No, you're not the church. We are the church. You are a part of the body but you are not the body. And I think that one of the, the things that we get confused in our individualistic society here in the United States of America is we're all individuals and we're all this, that, that I can, it could be me and Jesus and that's all I need. That's a farce. That's a lie of the enemy. That is not true. You are not the body of Christ. You are not the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And, and there's something amazing when you happen and you actually go from outside to step in Paul talks about some crazy thing that happens. Now watch what happens when you get in Christ Jesus in Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 28. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So the moment you put on Christ, the moment you're a believer and you get baptized, here's what he says needs to happen. The moment you step into Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek. He's saying it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter what your nationality is, it doesn't matter what nation you're from, Erase that from here on out. There's no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no, there's no nationality. Erase all that. And then he says, there's neither slave nor free. He's saying, there's no social economic status that now, there's, it doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter what your occupation is or what it's not. Erase all that. You're only going to be identified from here on out as in Christ. That's it. That's it. 
Okay? Then he goes on, even goes further. There's no male or female. Now, that kind of sounds weird, but what he's emphasizing over and over again is that when you get in Christ, every other label falls off except for body of Christ. That's it. That's how you identify. Every other trapping, every other label, every other situation is erased. And, and so I'm going to say some things that are pretty strong, if I haven't already, but just warm it up. So uh, I'm going to say something pretty strong. If you identify more with your nation than you do with the people in this room or the body of Christ, you're not like Jesus. If you identify more with your occupation and what you do and you find your identity or your community or your people there in that occupation more than the body of Christ, you're not like Jesus. If you identify more with your race than with the body of Christ, if you're a believer, come on now. You're not like Jesus. Jesus says whenever you, Paul says, when you get in Christ, that's it. That's all that matters. There's no black, white, red, yellow. There's no, uh, there, there's no occupation. There's no social economic status. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, what nation. There's no boundaries to nations. You, if I go anywhere on the planet, if there's a believer there, I'm going to have more in common with a believer in China than I do someone who's not a believer in the United States. That's what he's saying. And if that's not the way it is for you, you're not like Jesus. Because Jesus, and that's what the story we see here, that Jesus identified more with the believers than even with his own family who were blood that were not believers. Do you hear how strong and radical this is? It's crazy. But that's what the Bible says. And so the problem is we live in this American culture that's individualistic, that's all about America, that all worships America. Now, listen, it's okay to be patriotic. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we live from American culture, and then we're trying to add Jesus on top of that. How many of you guys know that doesn't work? We've got to be the body first, and then out of that, we live in an American culture that we use as a tool, or we live in our relation. We have an occupation that from the body identity, everything else flows. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so if you identify more with the Constitution than you do your Bible, something's wrong. And so we've got to get things back right as believers. If, and, and that's why I asked the question, who is your family? You see, Jesus had a family sitting outside the door, and they shared his name. It was Jesus. They shared the same name, but they were his family in name only. And Jesus said, these people here are acting like my family. These are people who are experiencing, I'm experiencing life as family. They're family in name only, but these people are family by experience. I think there are too many believers who have the name only, but they aren't walking in experience as the body. So you can call yourself the body of Christ, and you can say I'm a believer, but if you aren't living as, a belie- as an experience, then you're just in name only. Let me, let me say something else. God does not have a problem overlooking people and moving on to the next guy. I think sometimes we think, well, God is always about, you know, he's not going to leave anyone behind and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, we can tell stories about the, the lost sheep and all that type of stuff. But here's what I also know, that there are many times in Scripture where Jesus, you know, where God looked at somebody and said, had a plan for him and said, hey, here's my desire for you. And they turned their back on him and, Jesus, and, and God just went, you know, okay, let's go on to the next guy. I'll give you one example. King Saul. 
He was the anointed king. He was the first king of Israel. He was supposed to be the man. It was supposed to be Saul's dynasty. And that eventually, through the lineage of Saul, there would be the Messiah that would come through that. But Saul turned his back on God. And so, uh, all of a sudden, David gets raised up, who's not part of his lineage. And now it's David's dynasty. So, listen, God will keep moving. And if you're on the outside looking in, don't be sitting there waiting for God to pull you in. you got to step in. Come on. And so that's, that's what is being said here. God doesn't have a problem with that. So be careful where you place your identity. Be careful who you, you call your family. Not, again, don't hear this message as I'm telling you to turn your back on me. I'm just saying, where are you resting in your identity? When push comes to shove, who do you have more in common with? And if you are a believer, you have more in common with other believers than you have with anybody else on the planet, no matter if they're related to you, no matter if they share your occupation, no matter if they live in the same nation. And until we get to that mindset, then we aren't where Jesus was. Because that's what Jesus said. The second question is this. If this family is so important, if this body is so important, if it's so radical, then we have to turn inward and ask ourselves another question. It's this. Am I disconnected from that? Am I disconnected from the body? Am I one of those on the outside looking in? Am I one of those that are the body in name only, but not through experience? Am I one of those that Jesus might just move on and say, well, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to move on to somebody who will. Because here's what I found. I've been pastoring for this church for almost 10 years now. Here's what I found. I see people getting in a cycle of connected, on fire for God, and then all of a sudden disconnected. And all of a sudden now I'm not, near, I'm not connected and nobody's loving me. And nobody, and I'm in this cycle of disconnection. And they go through this cycle over and over and over again. And I hear all the time people saying, you know what, I really want to be connected to the body. I really want to serve. I really want to be in a community. I just don't have time. Listen, if you're disconnected and you know you're disconnected and you say you don't have time, that's a problem, isn't it? But I can tell you, it's your problem. It's not God's problem. It's not the church's problem. It's not your schedule's problem. It's not your job's problem. Because everybody has the same amount of time and everybody has the same ability to choose and to say yes to God. Let me say it another way. If you know, God told me to do this, but I just don't have time. That's an incompatible way of thinking when it comes to following Jesus, wouldn't you say? I know God said this, I just don't have the time. Then you make the time. Then you, everything is on the table. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. He said, if you want to save your life, you got to lose it. He said, if you want to follow me, you got to be all in. Some of you guys are wish we were playing a video today, don't you? <clears throat> okay. Am I disconnected? Am I disconnected? Here's what I found. A cycle of disconnection ends up leading to a cycle of dysfunction in your life. When you get disconnected from the body, all of a sudden your body doesn't start working right. Your life doesn't start working right. And then pretty soon what happens is the cycle of disconnection to dysfunction, pretty soon it becomes disunity, and all of a sudden you, you start having animosity towards people who are in the body. And you say, well, why didn't they do this for me? Or why am I not connected here? Why? How many of you guys have been there? I got my hand up first, okay? We've been there. We get in this cycle. And I've seen this cycle over and over and over again. This cycle of disconnection happen. It, it's like history repeating your, itself. How many of you guys have made the same mistake in life over and over again, right? It's the way it is. It's this cycle of disconnection. And it's like this. I got this picture. Instead of it being a new door that we walk through and we start walking to new levels in God, here's what I see most believers stuck in. It's, it's not an open door. It's a revolving door. And we, like, I've seen this before. I just cannot get, how many of you guys have ever been stuck in one of those revolving doors? I, I'm like, how did I, when, when did I, where's the exit, you know? And that's where we get stuck in. We see the same thing over and over again. Here's what I know. 
Here's Satan's plan for most believers. If I could get them to have one foot on the outside and just one foot on the inside so they taste enough to believe and think wrongly, this, isn't just, this just isn't working for me. But they've got one foot in and one foot out. And if he could get believers there, he wins. And I can tell you he's winning most from what I see. Because most people have one foot in, one foot out. I'm tasting just enough for it not to work fully. And then begin to blame God or begin to have disunity with other people. Okay? So how do we break this cycle? How do we do this? I'm going to give you three ingredients of what it looks like to be in the body. What would it look like for you to actually be fully functioning as a, as a part of the body. I want to give you three things, and they're found right in our story that we looked at. So there's Jesus. He's preaching. The usher guy comes up and says, hey, your, your mom and brothers are out there. And then Jesus picks up the story. We pick up the story here with Jesus, and it says, stretching out his hand in verse 49 towards the disciples, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. That one word, here, is very, very important. You see, the disciples were with Jesus, and the others on the outside were not. The first ingredient is communion with God. If you want to be living life in the body, you have to be in communion. You have to be in the presence of God. That's why we set aside tomorrow. We start 21 days of prayer and fasting because we think it's so important to be in the presence of God, to have communion with God. That's why we just took youth, uh, a bunch of teenagers to youth camp to encounter God. And let me tell you, parents, I saw your teenagers just worshiping like crazy. I saw them going after it. It was awesome. So I'm up here on the front row. And I mean, they encountering God, you know, those times in God's presence. He says here, he says, the ones who are with me in my, pre- in my presence, that's what it looks like to be a part of the body. The second thing we see is this. It says, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. I want you to see that. He said, these people here, even though they're not related naturally, spiritually they are related. He said, they had a relationship with one another. They had community. That's their second one is community. It's communion, and they had community with one another. That made them part of the body. And the third thing is this. It says, here are my mother and brothers for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever does the will of God. Have you guys know that he's given us a great commission? Whoever gets on mission with God, whoever serves God, not just in communion with God, not just in community with God, but fulfilling the great commission that God has for us, he identifies those things as that's what it looks like to be in the body. Those are the people who aren't just in name only, but who are experiencing what it's like to live in the body of Christ, okay? So those are three elements. You can't sacrifice any one of them. And here's what I've found people do, all right? How many of you guys have ever used one of these at a family reunion or something like that? It's a styrofoam plate. It's got three different sections in it, right? And so uh, here, here's the way I looked at it, and here's the picture I saw as I was preparing for this. It's like we've got uh, three different sections. We've got communion with God. And we put a little bit, we've got to have the right ingredients and the right healthy eating habits as the body. We've got to have the right ingredients. And so a balanced diet would be communion with God. We'd put a good helping of communion with God. Man, we're spending time in God's presence. We're spending time in God's word. And so I know a lot of people who say, man, I've got my quiet time. I've got my devotion time. I've got my praise and worship music. I've got, you know, my, I'm coming to TNT. I'm praying, fasting. And we got communion down. And then we go up to the next thing. It's like, well, I'm going to add some community. And we put a community in one of those little slots. Man, I love having people over my house. I love connecting with people. I love coming to the women's brunch or to the, to the uh, real life groups or whatever it is. And then what I've seen people do is say, I love community so much, I'm going to add a second helping of community. 
And so they'll fill up their third slot with community. So now they've got communion and a lot of community. But there's no great commission. Let me tell you what happens if you start feasting on a diet like that for so long. Pretty soon you become a stagnant pond where you're so filled up with stuff, but nothing's ever going out that it starts stinking inside. You get selfish. Things start to rot. And I know a lot of people who try to fill up on communion and try to put a lot of community in their life, but there's no great commission in their life. There's no mission. There's no serve. There's no outlet. I also know a lot of people who, man, they get down to the communion part. Man, I got communion with God going on. And, and then they say, I love to serve. In fact, serving is the most important thing we could do. I mean, isn't that why we're here on the planet, to serve? I mean, love God, love others. You know, I don't need to be around other believers. I need to go out there and serve. And so they'll throw up a bunch of serve on there, and they'll have a, a second helping of serve. I can tell you what happens over time. Yeah, you got a good relationship with God going, and you, you're serving, and you got an outlet, but pretty soon you're going to find out that something's missing in your life. You don't have anybody challenging the way you're thinking. You don't have iron sharpening iron. You don't have anybody coming in to encourage you when you're down, and you get burnt out serving because you will get burnt out serving. Some of you don't have anything on this plate, and I'm not even going to go there. Some people put all communion with God. There's no community. Do you see what I'm saying today? We have to have equal portions. We have to have a, a, a balanced diet, if you will. Now, uh, sometimes uh, this this one here, this this section here, I love that it's like not same uh, not the same size as these others, because it helps me illustrate a point. I believe that the most important thing, if you're going to have more than any of the others, it has to be communion with God. Out of that comes everything else. I had an interesting conversation with one of my teenagers because we went to, uh, they went and served at Camp Comcedo before youth camp week. So we had youth camp last week. And before that, they served Camp Comcedo, which is, you know, serving inner city kids and doing all that stuff. So after they got done with Camp Comcedo, before youth camp, I had a conversation with one of them. And, and they said, you know, I had so much a good time serving at Camp Comcedo. I just really don't really want to go to youth camp. And I said, well, why don't you want to go to youth camp? Because Camp Comcedo is all about others, but youth camp's all about me. And I said, no, 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 no. That's wrong. Youth camp is about encountering you and God together. And if, there is, and if there's ever anything that ought to take priority, it ought to be encountering God. If you could only choose one of those three, it would be encountering God. And so I don't know who told you that, that you spending time in God's presence is not worth your time, but that's a lie, you know. That ought to be the biggest priority. In fact, if you think, well, it's all about serving. We don't need to ever take time for us. What are we doing having, you know, TNT nights? We need to be out doing this, whatever. If that's all you're going to do, I can tell you who you are. You're Martha, not a Mary. This one thing I ask, this one thing I seek, that I might be in the presence of God. And so if you're going to fill up something with a little disproportion, you ought to fill up with community, communion with God because that's what's going to keep you sustained through all the rest of the time. Amen? I'm preaching good whether you guys like it or not. I'm just going to keep going. All right. Now, one thing I talk about with our team, our, our leaders a lot, is I talk about right-sizing. You know, if we had like 2,000 people show up to Journey Church next week, but we didn't have enough seats for them. We didn't have enough infrastructure. We didn't have enough of nursery and elementary workers. Guess what would happen over the next few weeks? We would right-size back down to the level that we were actually able to handle. It doesn't matter how many people came in. Eventually, you're going to always right-size back down to the level of your true leadership. The same is true in your businesses. Listen, if you had an influx of business more than you had an infrastructure to handle, guess what will happen? Eventually, your business will taper back off and right size to your true ability, okay? 
So why is that important? Here's what I think a lot of people want to do. They want to try to grow in God so much, and they try to expand their plate, and they add too much serving on their plate. They add too much community on there, and they try to get a bigger plate. Here's what I can tell you. Or they try to get a disproportionate plate with all one or all the other. Eventually, your life will right-size back down to the need of needing all three of those. You cannot just serve and be fine. You cannot just have community and be fine. You cannot just have communion with God and be fine. Eventually, your life will cause, it'll cause a, a spiral effect, a crisis effect, a situational effect where you need to right-size back down. You can't get away from it. You can't sacrifice any one of those. So let me, let me give you one more thought about this area of am I disconnected. You see, if you are looking at your life right now and you're looking at your plate, and each one of us have a different size, and we're looking at that thinking, you know what? I don't have any of those in balance, or I don't have, I'm, I'm missing an ingredient. Here's what I want you to know. If you want to connect in a new area, like you want to connect in the body of Christ in a new way, you may have to disconnect in some other area of your life. Because no doubt, the reason why you're not connecting right now is because you're overly connected somewhere else. To connect spiritually, you may have to disconnect somewhere practically in the natural in order to make room for that in order to prioritize that. Let me give you just a, a brief example in my life, just a practical example. Uh, how many of you guys have ever invited somebody over to your house, like a whole group of people, and all of a sudden, after a while, conversation initially dies off, and everybody's sitting around in couches or something like that, and what are they doing? They're staring at their phones, aren't they? How many of you guys have been in that situation where there's all of a sudden, oh, I'm glad we're together. Everybody's looking at their phones together. And, and so, uh, do you know that one out of four car crashes involve cell phones? How many of you guys would be honest to admit that you use your cell phone while you drive? Any of you? No, you guys aren't honest in church? Okay. We had police officers here at the door taking tallies. So one thing I did, because I understood that I wanted to be more present where I was at. I wanted to be more present with my family. I wanted to be more present when I was at work. I wanted to be more focused. And so one thing I did with my cell phone, I've got a smartphone, I took off the internet search app, I took off Facebook app, I took off my work email, I basically stripped, I know this is radical, I stripped it all the way down to where it was like a phone. <laughs> and so that's all I've got on there. I mean, I got like GPS and, you know, just some tools, but nothing else. So what, it, what effect did this produce in my life? So it, affected, it produced this effect that when I'm in, in line at the grocery store and I'm waiting, instead of getting my phone out and just entertaining myself just while I'm waiting, all of a sudden my eyes are open to see who I might need to minister to. All of a sudden I was more present. If I'm sitting at home and maybe there's nothing really going on, instead of sitting on my, on my phone and kind of scrolling through my phone, all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking up saying, well, what should we be doing, guys? Let's go do something. All of a sudden I became more present. See, I disconnected practically in one area in order to create space so that I really could do and be present, okay? We may have to do that when it comes to this area. Let me give you a final question, and here's the question. What is my pain? You see, when I, I know when we talk about getting connected to one another or getting involved again or going from disconnected to connected, that there's reasons why you aren't connected now, and most of them probably have to do with some pain that's happened in the past, Here's what I know. The pain of the past can steal the joy from the future. And so many of us, because of the pain in our past, we aren't willing to step in from the outside in because of the pain. So I ask you that question. What is your pain? What's your reason for not stepping more into the body of Christ? What's your reason for not stepping into more relationship with other people? What's your reason for not getting the right portions on your plate? What is your pain? 
You know, I was uh, reading a book by a guy who does pastor's conferences and talks to pastors a lot. You may not know this little secret about church, although I think you do. Uh, 90% of people in churches are awesome people, are great people. But sometimes, I've been a pastor for 10 years now of this church, sometimes there's some people, maybe 10%, that uh, maybe are gossiping or stirring up a little strife, and 10% can cause 90% of the problems. How many of you guys have experienced that? Maybe even in your family, right? Like 10% causes 90% of the problems. Well, this guy understood this about pastors, and so he was talking at a pastor's conference, and he was talking to all of them, and he said, listen, I haven't been to your church. I don't know who the people in your church, but I could tell you that 10% of them are probably devils in your church, aren't they? And all the pastors started laughing because it was just a funny joke, and they said, yeah, okay. And they understood it. They connected with that. And so he said, if you have a church of 100 people, how many devils do you have in your church? 10. If you have a church of 1,000 people, how many devils do you have in your church? 100. If you have a church of 10,000 people, how many devils do you have in your church? 1,000. And then he asked them this question. If you can't handle 10 devils, why would God give you 100? In other words, if you can't handle this small pain, why would God give you growth that what comes with growth is more pain? And it really challenged people. And he, and he said this. He said, you will only grow to your threshold of pain. You will only grow to your ability to have whatever your pain tolerance is. That's how far you'll grow. I think it's so true for us in life that you won't grow beyond your pain threshold. And, and the point of that is this. Be careful what you pray for. Because I know a lot of pastors who are praying for church growth. I just got a lot of friends and I know that. But how do you guys know? It, if you pray for growth, be careful what you pray for, because you might, instead of having 10, you might have 100. Instead of 100, you might have 1,000. And, and so be careful what you pray for. And let's apply that to us today. Some of you feel disconnected right now. You feel disconnected from relationships. You feel disconnected from the body. And here's what I'd say to you. Be careful what you pray for. Because if you can't handle small pain, why would God give you real community where there's going to be a whole lot more of it? Some of you guys can't handle if somebody doesn't text you back or if somebody looks at you wrong or somebody doesn't say happy birthday or like your Facebook post or if somebody doesn't you know, say hi to you in a certain way or somebody doesn't call you or invite you to dinner. You can't handle that pain. You feel disconnected and so you're offended and you're praying for more connection. Why would God give you more connection when you can't even handle that? Your pain tolerance is so low. Do you see what I'm saying today? I know I'm speaking. I know you're, you're like, bring back the video. Um, but if you can't handle the first level, when you get really connected to people, that's when real pain is going to start to happen. Not because people want to give and inflict pain, but because as you get close to people, pain happens. And so if you can't handle a little pain, a little rejection, a little uh, uh, issue or here or there, why would God give you more? Don't pray for more connection because your pain tolerance for walking that out is so small right now. Listen, some of you guys won't even, I'm just going to get on it now. It's third service. You're here, you know. Um, some of you guys won't even come to a real life group, which is our venue for community, because it's inconvenient or because it just doesn't fit your model or you just don't like the way it's done or it doesn't. Listen, if that's you, your pain tolerance is so small. If it has to be your way or the highway, your pain tolerance is so small. If it has to be your way, don't pray for more relationships because that would be a disastrous relationship if you're the type of person that it has to be my way or no way. That'll be a disaster or a dictator, and neither one of them is godly. I said it with a smile on my face, so 
be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. If you're offended right now that no one's connected to you or no one's reaching out to you, your pain tolerance is very low. Because when someone really does connect with you, they're going to bring a whole lot more pain with it than the fact that you just didn't get connected with. Do you guys see what I'm saying today? We, our prayer ought to be, God, increase my pain tolerance. Increase my ability to receive pain so that I can go in, into relationships and I can make a difference and I can withstand little pains here and there so that I can go into deeper relationship with other people. So pain tolerance. Pain in the past hinders joy in the future. If you're offended now, man, don't ask for more. Let me give you something right now that if you write this down, this could change the trajectory of your life, your Christian walk. I'm not overhyping this, but I believe that somebody needs this today. Okay, This is something God showed me a couple weeks ago. And I believe if you will actually apply this, whenever you feel disconnected, it changes everything. Here's what God showed me. Immaturity says this. No one's pursuing me, and so I feel disconnected. Maturity says I feel disconnected. So I start to pursue people. The first person has a very low pain tolerance. The last person, the next person, has had an elevated pain tolerance where they can handle the fact that no one's pursuing them and their pain tolerance is high and they can step into relationship even if no one's stepping in towards them. This is good stuff right here. This will change your life if you apply it. This will affect your relationships in your family. This will affect your relationships in church relationships all together. Now listen, I've got a quote for you, and it's a quote by Bob Marley, so, uh, but it's good, okay? It says this, truth is, everybody's going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. Can I tell you that the people in this room, the body, are ones worth suffering for? Jesus said it. Jesus did it, in fact. He suffered for us. And he said, the ones who are my family and worth suffering for are the people in this room. And he identified with them more than any other people. Now, I'm going to steal an illustration I saw at youth camp. Uh, but it's an illustration at the hula hoop. No, I'm not going to hula hoop today. Uh, I can't do it anyway. Um, but how do you guys know, if you got this, how many of you guys are personal space people? Like, you, gotta, you have one of these invisible spaces. Where I have one, by the way. It gets breached all the time. It's not by design, but it happens. Uh, but anyway, he was, he was talking to the teenagers, and he said, listen, we all have, how many of you guys know that if somebody gets closer than this, they begin to affect our lives, don't they? They begin to influence our lives. So Chris, would you come up here real quick, believe it or not? Come, no, come on up, come on up, come on up. So this is, this is uh, you know, you can stay right there. So if I let Chris in, this is going to get really odd. Come over here, Chris. <laughs> believe me, I'm in more pain than you are. How do you guys know this is really awkward for both of us right now? Okay, you're done. I'm done. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Hey, whoever you let in there, man, they can influence your life. They, I mean, they, this, it gets real personal real quick, doesn't it? Right? And so we have to be careful, and spe speaking especially to teenagers, who we allow in, don't we? Because they'll begin to affect. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. We got to be careful who we allow in. Now, let me tell you how this works for adults, though, because I think it's slightly different for adults than it is for teenagers. Teenagers have problems deciphering and using the wisdom of who they should allow in. Let me tell you the problems with adults. Adults use this to keep people out. And we'll show up to church, but we'll show up with our barrier on, and we'll say, you can come this far, but don't come any closer. We'll show up to a real life group and we'll say, you can come this far, but I'm not going to let you see and influence me. 
We'll show up into relationships or come to serve, but you can't come any further. Am I speaking truth? So for us as adults, it's not so much who are we allowing in, but it's who are we inviting in. Because so many of us are unwilling to actually invite someone in. But it's so powerful when we do that. See, we need to be praying for more pain tolerance so that I can invite Chris in. You know, that close, but not really. But still, we need to be praying for more pain tolerance. Our pain threshold is so, so low. Let me close up with a story. I'm going to invite the band back up. Here's a story that happened at youth camp. I got so much material at youth camp. It's awesome. Uh, have you guys have ever played paint or, uh, laser tag? Any of you guys ever played paintball, laser tag, anything like that? So I got a picture of my daughter as we were, this me. Yeah, uh, it's getting bad, isn't it, guys? I'm going to, okay. Uh, but here she is. Here's Rachel, and she's got the laser tag gun. Now, if you've never played laser tag, this gun shoots out a laser beam to sensors like on our head and on our body and stuff that uh, on the gun that if you get shot then you're gonna you're out of the game and we each one of us on our gun it showed that we had five bars of health so if we could get shot five times before we died so everybody's got a gun there's a, a guy uh, uh, who's running the whole thing he's got a little box and he can reset the game and he gives us each one five bars of health okay so then you run out you shoot people, and then the last team that's standing wins. Well, I was on one team. My brother Ben was on a team. How many of you guys, you teenagers, how many of you guys were on my team? I think most of them were in the other services. Uh, but so we had a team. Now, my brother Jake had a team too. Now, if you don't know my brother Jake, he's KCPD. He's been SWAT. He's done all sorts of things. He had been running a bunch of teams, running paintball earlier that day, doing strategies and war games. It's youth group. It's youth camp, dude. But he had him primed and ready. And so we go up there, our team, my team against his team. First game, we get our hinds in. We just get our tails kicked in the first game because he's got all these strategies. We're like, okay, let's, let's try again. Let's try a new strategy. He comes out. Man, they get, us, they get us again. They wipe us out two or three times. Meanwhile, uh, we started to make friends with the guy who was running the game. And he said, because the other team left, Jake's team left across there. He said, hey, listen, instead of five bars of health, I can program yours to get 10 bars of health, everyone on your team. And in fact, I could make you guys invincible. And so that every time you die, you'll like respawn with new health and, and that you'll be literally invincible. Would you have a problem with that? And I said, I don't have a problem humbling something in the, somebody in the name of the Lord. And, you know, just I'll be an agent of the Lord. I... And so we did. We didn't tell them. And so we went out and it's time for the game. We went running. Ah, we're just shooting. We're just out in the open. We don't even care. They're all like, what is going on? They're getting left and right. I died like 14 times in there, and I just kept coming because I was invincible. I had nothing to lose. We came back, and we still never told them that that was what happened. In fact, I didn't tell Jake until first service this morning when he was sitting right there. It was so awesome, so gratifying. And I'm sure he sleeps better tonight knowing that he wasn't a loser, you know. But here, here's the thing. I walked away from that, and I thought, wow, that's a picture of increasing our pain tolerance. All of a sudden, I went from 5 to 10 to really invincible, invincible. And I wonder, and here's what I want you to know. Jesus can increase your pain tolerance. Here's the picture I saw. that We, we went out like we had nothing to lose. What if we jumped into the body of Christ, jumped into relationships with one another, like, we got nothing to lose. Like, we're invincible. I'm not talking about being unwise, but I am talking about taking the hula hoop off a little bit. 
What if we jumped in like we got nothing to lose? We're invincible. My pain tolerance is high. I don't care what you do to me externally. It doesn't rob my joy internally. It doesn't take away my love for you internally. I don't care how you offend me or what. I, I, my pain tolerance is high. Do you realize that Jesus has done this for us spiritually? That he's made us invincible in a fact? That, that we, we are winners? That we have won? We've already, how many of you guys know that when that guy programmed that in for us to be invincible, we had won the battle even before he ever started? We just had to go out and fight it. Do you realize that's the same case in, in, with us spiritually? Jesus has already won the battle for us. We're not going to lose. No matter what anybody does to us, we're not going to lose. We're invincible. we got nothing to lose. What if we went into that with our relationships, our community with one another, that we got nothing to lose. No matter what happens to us, we already have the victory. I'm going to pray for you as we close, and then we'll do a song. I know some of you have some real pain that needs to be healed, or your pain tolerance needs to increase. I believe Jesus is a healer. I believe he can increase that. I believe he can, he can do something in our hearts today. Amen. Would you guys stand up with me? I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'm not going to have you come down front or anything. But I will ask that you just acknowledge it in your heart before God. Maybe you recognize a pain in your life that's kept you from where you need to be. Maybe you re recognize that your pain tolerance, your threshold for pain is extremely low. Today, I believe that, that can be raised up. I believe forgiveness can happen. I believe strength can come. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit can come and give you boldness and give you freedom. Amen. So right now, God, we thank you, God, that you have given us the victory. Even before we fight the battles, that you've given us the victory. That you've made it to where we have nothing to lose. If God is for us, who could be against us? That you've given us the victory. And so today, I pray for people who have pain in their life, who have wounds that don't seem to heal, who maybe they're in that cycle of disconnection. Lord, we thank you that you can break that today in the name of Jesus. And I pray for pain tolerance in this room to go up to a high level where it doesn't matter if we get offended or if we have an opportunity to be hurt. Lord, we, we can take it because we know that you suffered for us. And we can give grace because you, we know that you gave us so much more grace than we could ever give anyone else. So Lord, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.